Well, thank you, Dave and Nighty and Matt, for, uh, for jumping up and stepping up, and we really appreciate that for continuing. And uh, we have such a flexible church you, these last two years. I just, I just commend you, all of you, for just going through all the changes, and even today, this week, we've had a lot of people sick, and our video team couldn't um, meet and, uh, and provide live streams. So those on my Facebook live account are maybe getting to hear our service for the first time. Maybe we're Facebook friends, and I just want to acknowledge you, welcome you. And maybe today we've been friends, but I want to introduce you to um, my great friend, Jesus Christ. And uh, maybe today you'll, you'll receive Christ as Lord and Savior. Well, who here has ever been discouraged? Almost every hand went up. Maybe some of you are so discouraged you can't even get your hand up. Like, that's how rough it's been. It's pretty much unanimous. We all get discouraged from time to time. Um, things don't go as planned. Maybe you, this past week, you studied so hard. You students out there, you studied so hard and worked hard on that assignment or that studied for that test and it, you didn't get the, the grade that you wanted. Or maybe you, um, you've been looking for that promotion at work that you've sought after and it, and it was given to somebody else. Or, or maybe you've been looking for a home, a house, and you've put in so many offers and you got rejected again. Maybe this week you got a bad report from the doctor or you got a bad report on a COVID test. Those things are hard. What is even harder is when somebody reminds you of those hurts, right? When they put it in your, your face. Probably one of the most public examples of being beaten down after going through a very personal time, at least something in recent memory of suffering, is, is Jada Pinkett Smith. Did you hear what happened at the 22 Oscars just a couple Sundays ago? It's been called the slap heard around the world. And it caused the 10-year ban of a beloved actor from attending the Oscars for those 10 years. His reputation has been marred. Much talk and opinion has been given about Will Smith and how he slapped Chris Rock after Chris made fun of his wife, Jada, Will Smith's wife, Jada, for her balding condition. We can all agree that it's right to protect one another's honor, but it's not right to slap another person. The Bible had a name for this long before labels of toxic masculinity were being th thrown around. The Bible calls it sinful vengeance. And we know we must leave vengeance in the hands of the Lord because only God can execute perfect mercy and perfect justice. And I want to remind you today that nobody... Absolutely nobody gets away with anything, yet we start to feel discouraged. What I want to focus on from that night, from that Oscar night, is the warning Denzel Washington gave Will Smith just before Smith received his Oscar. And, and I quote, I read it to you. This is what Denzel Washington said. At your highest moment, be careful, that's when the devil comes after you. This warning proved true because often the devil, also called the roaring lion in the Bible, 
Wait until you're at the pinnacle of success, when you're fully exposed, when everybody's going to see you, and that's when he pounces. However, I will remind you that the lion called the devil will also come after you at your low moments, when you're weak and sick and alone. Job was alone. That's what Satan sent in his fourth wave of attacks on Job. The first wave was when Job was the richest and right, most righteous man in all of the East. And in one single day, Satan came in and took away all of his business, all of his employees, and the worst thing was all of his adult children. It was horrific. That was the first wave. The second wave was Satan came in and put painful boils, infected Job with painful boils, and they were all over his skin, and it was just horrible. The third wave was when Job's friends come from afar to comfort him. Gustav Dory has, has um, actually put a, a, drew a picture of, of Job's friends comforting him. And these attacks originated because Satan wanted to prove that God was wrong about Job being blameless and he would remain faithful to God. The debate up in heaven and the, the divine council actually led to an all-out assault on earth for Job and for his wife. And let's remember as we study the book of Job that, that it's actually God that's ultimately on trial. And when people attack God, God's children are also going to be attacked. Let's always remember that. As God suffers attacks, so do we. But it begs the question, will we love God even when we can't see his goodness? That's the theme of Job. Will we love God for God's sake and not just for his blessings? Now, I need to give you just a warning today. The warning is, if you think you can answer yes to that question, then it will knock out all the prosperity gospel out of you. Because you're going to go through a time of suffering and sifting. So will we love God for God's sake and not just for his blessings? We have to come to the conclusion that and sometimes in our life, it's just all we have is God. Are you there yet? Have you had that experience? Where it's just like, I only have God. I feel like I'm missing out on everything else. And you're just holding fast to him. It's at that moment that you'll discover how to deal with discouragers. Let's find out how to deal with discouragers from Job chapters 15 through 19. We're not going to read all of those, but if you have your Bible, I would encourage you to turn, turn to that passage, Job chapter 15 and 19. And, and I got to tell you, Job's discouragers were not haters on social media. They were personally known to Job. They were, they were up close. They were very close to Job. And often the people who are close to, closest to us hurt us the most. Have you found that to be true? Amen. Well, the three friends' names that Job has are Bildad, Eliphaz, and Zophar. And they come from countries from from quite a ways away. 
And they get close to Job, to Job. And at first they, they listen to Job and they just let him lament. They let him cry out to God. And then Eliphaz starts to speak, followed by Bildad and lastly Zophar. And as we're going through the book of Job, there's, these, there's this cycle of conversations and, and counsel that Job receives from his friends. And then Job tries to respond to his friends. Eliphaz, followed by Bildad, picks up the interrogation like, like a, a bad cop on a TV show. And Eliphaz, instead of being a comforter, is a debater. Some people love to debate. Who here likes to debate things? Okay, a few of you like to debate things. If, if fans, maybe this fans a flame in your soul. Well, I got to tell you, it doesn't fan a flame in my soul. It, it, it's almost like, it's like leaving the door on a cold spring day. Leaving the door open on your house. It takes out all the warmth in your house and it's costly. And debating for me causes my internal furnace to heat up without producing much light. And if I'm not careful, it could cost me something greater than a large heating bill. It could cost me my reputation. We need light and not heat. This is why we'll be focused on Job's response today. I'm going to uh, read Job's friends' attacks from particularly Job 15 and 18. And for the interest of time, then I'll unpack Job's responses. And I would encourage you this week that as you get ready for a small group, that you read all five chapters, Job 15 through 19. But if uh, you would please stay with me for the reading of God's word. We're just going to read parts of Job 15, and then I'll jump to Job 18 today. So starting in verse 1 of Job chapter 15. Then Eliphaz the Temanite answered and said, should a wise man answer with windy knowledge and fill his belly with the east wind? Should he argue with unprofitable talk on words with which he can do no good? But you are doing away with the fear of God and hindering meditation before God. For your iniquity teaches your mouth and you choose the tongue of the crafty. Your own mouth condemns you and not I. Your own lips testify against you. Are you the first man who was born? Or were you brought forth before the hills? Have you listed in the counsel of God and do you limit wisdom to yourself? What do you know what we do not know? What do you understand that is not clear to us? Both the gray-haired and the aged are among us, older than your father. Are the comforts of God too small for you? Or the word that deals gently with you? Why does your heart carry you away? And why do your eyes flash that you turn your spirit against God and bring your, such words out of your mouth. What is man that he can be pure? Or he who is born of woman that he can be righteous? Behold, God puts no trust in his holy ones, and the heavens are not pure in his sight. How much less one who is abominable and corrupt, a man who drinks injustice like water. So that's Eliphaz's attack on Job. Turn over to chapter 18, Job 18. I'm going to read the first six verses of Job 18. This one is from Bildad. Then Bildad the Shuite answered and said, How long will you hunt for words? Consider and then we will speak. Why are we counted as cattle? Why are we so stupid in your sight? You tear yourself in your anger. 
Shall the earth be forsaken for you, or the rock be removed out of its place? Indeed, the light of the wicked is put out, and the flame of his fire does not shine. The light is dark in its tent, and his lamp above him is put out. Let's pray. God, I know so many walk into this room and they're discouraged and beaten down. And Lord, you even know more about their situation than maybe even they do. You see what's really going on. God, I pray today that you would lift them up, that you would give them strength, you would give them hope, God, and they would do so as they look to your son, Jesus. And we pray in his name. God's people said, amen. amen. You may be seated. This week I had my son help me uh, study Job 15 through 19. And he summed up the verbal beatdowns by Eliphaz and Bildad like this. Job, you're talking a lot of smack and you're acted whack. <laughs> now, if you have lost your ability to speak teenager, let me try to... Uh, to expand on that term because there's more than just that message. I want to remind us today that discouragers will attack our faithfulness. Discouragers will attack our faithfulness. Eliphaz accuses Job of not fearing God. Look again at Job 15. Do you see that? What it says in Job 15 verse 4. But you are doing away with the fear of God and hindering meditation before God. Eliphaz goes on to question Job's walk with God in verse 8. Have you listened in the counsel of God and do you limit yourself to wisdom to yourself? That's why I think that Satan is behind Eliphaz's discouraging remarks. Satan, not Eliphaz, had actually been in the counsel of God. We know this from chapter 1. And Satan loves to attack our closeness to God. It's one of his favorites from his evil playbook. And he, he used it really at the beginning of human history. In Genesis chapter 3 verse 1. Remember what Satan through the serpent said to Eve? Did God really say? Did God really say? Sin tries to put a wedge in between God and his beloved children. Causes us to try to question God's word and wisdom in our lives. And, and it's like this. Satan, Satan uses doubt, doubt, doubt until finally that hook of discouragement in our life. Maybe this week you just got hammered by doubt and doubt and doubt. And you're you're pretty down. You're pretty discouraged. Eliphaz goes on to say, essentially this is what he's saying. Job, if, if, if God doesn't even put trust in his, his holy ones. Look at verse 15. God, if he doesn't even trust the divine counsel and his angels, why would he trust you, Job? You are so messed up. You think you're, you're good. You think you're righteous. There's no one that's righteous, verse 14. No one born of a woman. What are you thinking? And so Eliphaz attacks Job's faithfulness. 
See, sometimes people will, will uh, discourage us and attack us at our place of strength, of our faithfulness. It's Satan's way of getting us to overreact like a slap across the face at the Oscars, defending your spouse. The tactic of getting me to overreact has been used successfully on me by our enemy many times in my life, in ministry. And, and this is how it usually goes. He, Satan will try to attack me by, by having somebody question my theology. Because that is something that I so desperately want to have right. And, and I want to be accurate in. It's more important to me that I accurately proclaim God's word than even inspire you. I want to make sure that I'm delivering it correctly. And so when somebody questions my theology, I, I start to feel my dander get up. And I have to stop and pause. And I need to just remain faithful because I could lose my reputation real quick. One of the repeated lessons in the book of Job, the book of wisdom, is that sound theology can be too narrowly applied or misapplied to the wrong person or situation. In other words, we may something, say something that's generally true. Oh, we're all have sinned, but not for this person. In this situation, this person is actually following God. And we look from, from out, we're seeing on the outside, and we just see them suffering and say, well, they must have done something really wicked. And so we misapply God's word into their life. What about you? What area have you been faithful in that the discouragers are attacking you right now? Discouragers will attack our faithfulness. But discouragers will not only attack our faithfulness, they will also accuse us of unfaithfulness. This is almost the opposite. They'll accuse us of unfaithfulness. This is the point of attack by Bildad, the other quote-unquote friend. And yet Bildad does this in an indirect way. He speaks in generalities. Have you ever met somebody who just speaks in generalities and you're trying to say, what do you really mean? Just speak plainly. Tell me what you really mean about this situation. Well, that's what we, we, we see in, in Job, Job chapter 18, verse 5. It says, Indeed, the light of the wicked is put out, and the flame of his fire does not shine. We see here, Bildad is making a general comment about people, right? But he's hoping that Job will apply it to his life without being direct. But Bildad goes further than that. In fact, there's some verses I'm going to read to you in verses 7 through 11 that you, I didn't read earlier. So look, look again at Job 18, what Bildad says. He says about this wicked person. His strong steps are shortened and his own schemes no, throw him down. For he is cast into a net by his own feet and he walks on its mesh. A trap seizes him by the heel and a snare lays hold of him. A rope is hidden for him in the ground, a trap for him in the path, and terrors, terrors frighten him on every side and chase him at his heels. Bible scholar Michael um, Clinis explains traps should be normally um, focused on for animals, but in this case, those terrors are demonic or supernatural forces behind 
those traps. Demons are what is referred to as the terrors that frighten Job at every side. Those terrors that are what God promises to protect us from through the middle of the night in Psalm 91.5. And yet Job was surrounded. And Bildad's conclusion was that Job had sinned and given the devil a foothold in his life to use and borrow the, the term from Ephesians chapter 4, verse 27. So just listen up. This is, I want you to pay attention to this very carefully. Sometimes we might make accusations that people are unfaithful and therefore under the bonds of Satan. And Bildad makes this assumption. Look at, again, verse 14 of chapter 18. He is torn from the tent in which he trusted and is brought to the king of terrors. Who are, who's the king of terrors? It's not the king of kings. It's not Jesus. It's Satan. And that's what, what Bildad's saying. He's saying, you know what? If you live in this unfaithful, unfaithful life, you are going to be brought to this king of terrors and he's just going to destroy your life. See, Eliphaz thought Job was no longer fearing God, whereas Bildad thought that Job was fearing Satan. Bildad thought Job was, had lost his integrity because he wasn't being truthful. He wasn't being realistic with his life. It's ironic, too, that Bildad should think of himself to be doing Job a favor by announcing the fate of the wicked, saying, this is what's going to happen to you if, you if you don't repent. When in reality, Job was the, the most blameless man on earth, and he had been suffering the fate of the worst sinner, right? He had experienced all this horrific calamity. See, discouragers will attack our faithfulness and accuse us of unfaithfulness. Have you been accused of unfaithfulness? When in reality, you've done nothing wrong. Why? Why do discouragers attack our faithfulness and accuse us of unfaithfulness? Here it is. So that we will blame God and we will doubt God. And Job actually starts to go down that path of blame and doubt. Look at what Job says back in chapter 16, verses 7 through 15. Another section I haven't read to you, so let me read to you to it now. Read it to you now. Um, Surely now God has worn me out. This is Job speaking. He has made desolate all my company. I lost my friends, essentially. And he has shriveled me up, which is a witness against me, and my leanness has risen up against, leanness has risen up against me. It testifies to my face. He has torn me in his wrath and hated me. He has gnashed his teeth at me. My adversary sharpens his eyes against me. Men have gaped at me with their mouth. They have struck me incidentally on the cheek. And they amassed themselves together against me. God gives me up to the ungodly and casts me into the hands of the wicked. I was at ease and he broke me apart. He seized me by the neck and dashed me to pieces. He set me up as a target. His archers surround me. He slashes open my kidneys and does not spare. He pours out my gall on the ground. He breaks me with breach upon breach. He runs upon me like a warrior. I have sewed sackcloth upon my skin and I have laid my strength in the dust. 
Remember, all these descriptions, Job is connecting to God. Job started to attribute that roaring lion, the devil, all the evil that was that lion, the devil, was giving him, he started to attribute to God, who was really the lion of Judah. See, Job saw God going after his jugular, like, like a lion would. This, this, this idea was depicted in ancient art. We know that from about the um, 8th century BC with Nimrod. There's a picture of this, this lion going after this king, Nimrod. And see, Job felt that way. Job's faith, though, had enough elasticity to it that he snapped back to an orthodox understanding of God. And that happened because Job did what I'm going to encourage all of us to, to do today. Three actions, points, and what we should do when people discourage us. Here's the first action point, okay? I want to write these down. The first action is this. Cry out to God. Cry out to God. Pray. Go to God with your hurt. God is faithful, and he hears our faithfulness has been attacked, and we have been accused of unfaithfulness. And this is exactly what Job does in verses 16 and 17. Back, look at chapter 16 again. Verses 16 and 17. My face is red with weeping, Job says, and on my eyelids is deep with darkness. You ever been there? You ever been crying out to God? Although there is no violence in my hands and my prayer is pure. My prayer is pure. Pure prayer is often a heart poured out to God. Job knows just talking about it to his friends won't fix his problems. In fact, it's made it worse. And this is what Job says in Job 16, 2 through 7. He goes back. Look at that. Look at chapter 16, verses 2 through 7. I've heard many such things. Miserable comforters are you all. Shall windly words have an end? Or what provokes you that you answer? I also could speak as you do if, it, if you were in my place. I could join words together against you and shake my head at you. I could strengthen you with my mouth and solace on my lips would assuage your pain. If I speak, my pain is not assaged. And if I forbear, how much of it leaves me? Surely now God has worn me out. He's made me desolate, all my company. Job's lament is again an act of faith because he's turning to God in his pain. He's not turning to another person or a pill or any other painkiller that you could fill in the blank with. We need to learn how to cry out to God. And this is why I would encourage you to register for our upcoming prayer summit. Two weeks from now. It's on April 22nd and 23rd. I recall going to, to prayer meetings with my parents at an early age and, and learning and listening to how people who had spent a lot more time walking with Jesus and how they brought their discouragements to God. And I would encourage you to, to bring your whole family to this prayer summit. After Will Smith slapped Chris Rock. Apparently there were a few Christians in the backstage who jumped into action. One of them, again, was Denzel Washington. This past week he told what happened backstage. He says, fortunately there were people there, not just me, but others. Tyler Perry came immediately right over there with me. 
And we said some prayers. I don't want to say what we talked about, but for the grace of God, go any of us. Who are we to condemn? I don't know all the ins and outs of the situation, but I know the only situation was prayer, the way I see it. Denzel Washington turned to prayer. Our first action should be to cry out to God. When, when your faithfulness has been attacked and you're accused of unfaithfulness. The second point is this. As we, we think about this, we think about the fact that we need to cry out to God because there are going to be times, and I remind you of this truth, that when God seems silent, he is not absent. And that's why we have to go to prayer. But the second action point today is that we would seek the truth in God's word. When people are giving you counsel, you can find out whether their counsel is legit by sifting it through God's word. By saying, is this match up with God's word? Eric Ortland observes in Eliphaz's theology that it's very strange how God is not mentioned in verses 17 through 35. And, and, and Eliphaz is the one who says, I'm kind of speaking for God here. And yet he doesn't mention God. Contrast this with, with what Job does. He goes to God. Look at chapter 17, verses 6 through 9. Talking about God. He says, God has made me a byword of the peoples, and I'm one before him who men spit. My eye has grown dim from vexation, and all my members, meaning parts of his body, are like a shadow. The upright are appalled at this, and the innocent stirs himself up against the godless. Yet the righteous holds to his way, and listen to this, and he who has clean hands grows stronger and stronger. You could spend so much sideways energy trying to figure out and get a diagnosis of your problem, especially when you're discouraged. But there's where you need to seek out the truth of God's word. That's what we learn from verse 9. He who has clean hands grows stronger and stronger. Job didn't feel stronger and stronger, but he's saying, if I just come to the Lord, and I know I have clean hands. I love what Abraham Lincoln, who was one of the most beloved, and yet also at the same time one of the most hated presidents in U.S. history. This is what he said. If I were to read, much less answer, all the attacks made on me, this shop might as well be closed for business. Temple, we need to read the truth of God's word rather than read what our critics are saying about us. Let the word of God be the lens we filter people's comments and counsel. I was taught when I was a young pastor in the evangelical free church in the U.S. This phrase, where we needed to filter everything through. Where is it written? Where is it written? Where is it written in the Bible? When people come to you with questions and attacks and all sorts of things, say, where is it written in the Bible? As we seek out the truth in God's word. So we're to cry out to God and seek the truth in God's word. We also need to take one more action step, and that is this. Trust in the witness of heaven. Trust in the witness of heaven. Go back to Job 16, verse 19. Just one verse here. 
should give you so much hope. This is what Job says. Even now, behold, my witness is in heaven, and he who testifies for me is on high. That might be a verse to memorize this week. Even now, behold, my witness is in heaven, and he who testifies for me is on high. Job may have not fully known who he's pointing to, but we can. Later on in the Bible, we find out who that witness in heaven is. It's none other than God himself. Look what it says in 1 John 5, verses um, 6 through 12. This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood. And these three agree. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God that he is born concerning his Son. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar. Because he has not believed in the testimony that God has born concerning his Son. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life. And this life is in him. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. So the witness in heaven that Job hoped for was realized in God the Spirit. And in the, the water of Jesus' baptism. And at the blood of the cross of Jesus Christ. And this is the hope we also have. It goes beyond other heavenly witnesses. Remember what I told you about Abraham Lincoln, about not paying attention to all the critics and his, his business would be closed down? Well, he went on to say in that speech, he says this, I do the very best I know, the very best I can. And I mean to keep going, doing so until the end. If the end brings me out all right, what's said against me won't amount to anything. If the end brings me out wrong, ten angels swearing I was right would make no difference. See, Lincoln wasn't just calling for perseverance when attacked. He showed a humility that he couldn't defend himself. Bildad had falsely accused Job of unfaithfulness. And yet Job was faithful. Look what Job says in Job 19, verses 4 through 6. It's almost identical to what Lincoln said. And even if it be true that I have erred, my error remains with myself. If indeed you magnify yourselves against me and make my disgrace an argument against me, know then that God has put me in the wrong and closed his net about me. Job never cursed God, but he was still wrong about God. Maybe today... We've been wrong about God. We've been thinking and describing all these horrible things. Thinking, God, you're, you're so against me. I got to tell you, my family's gone through a hard time these last while. And I've, I've cried out to God. And I've been thinking, God, like, can nothing go right? And when I do these three action points of crying out to God, and seeking the truth in God's word. And seeking the witness in heaven. I'm corrected. And I'm reminded that I need this Jesus. Maybe you have sinned today. Maybe you have cursed God in your heart. I have good news for you. 
The blood of Jesus covers over all our sins. There's no greater reminder of this truth than the Lord's Supper. Jesus shed his blood for you and me to cover up all our sins of our our hearts and our heads and our hands. When you are most discouraged and suffering from that low-grade depression because nothing, and I mean nothing, is going right. It's the cross that we must go back to to remember that the darkest day in history also was the greatest day in history. And it's brought about our salvation if we believe in Jesus. God will lift us up when we're down. And he's inviting us right now as he's lifting us up to eat with him. Let's pray. God, we just come to you in the name of your son, Jesus. And we, um, we ask that we would be reminded that as we feel beaten down and discouraged, that we can cry out to you, we can seek your, the truth, what's really going on, filter things in this world and from our perspective, from your word. And Lord, at the end of the day, we have you, God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, to be our witness. And so God, we just ask that you would help us right now at this moment to Take time to reflect on what Christ has done for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.